On this episode of the Sports Clone Podcast, the start of a new series, a Liverpool-based series, where Liverpool's matches will be broken down in the subsequent days after the matches, and in this episode we will focus on their pre-season, their signings, their issues, what further signings are needed, and we will preview the Chelsea clash. Let's get into it. I think it's best we start off with sort of Liverpool's system and, and the pre-season activity. They brought in Alexis McAllister, uh, reportedly for a 30 million release clause, and Dominic Sorbosly from RB Leipzig for around 70 million. Um, and it was looking good that they had sort of two two very creative and, and inspiring midfielders in Sorbosly. You have a great presser in McAllister. You have a very sort of hard-working player and, and a player who has immense press resistance. Um, and this was good for the system that they were looking to play and the, and the system that they were looking to stick with. This system being the essentially the three box three. So they have Robertson um, tucking into essentially left centre-back Van Dijk um, and Canate being the other centre-backs. Trent Alexander-Arnold inverts from right-back um, into midfield when in possession to create a double pivot with their number six. And then Alexis McAllister and Dominic Soberslyke um, occupy the upper line uh, of the box with the forward line of, let's say, Diaz, Gagpo and Salah, right? Nunez and Jota, obviously options as well to play on either left or striker, most likely striker. But then the issue quickly, quickly became... Henderson left, Fabinho left, so that number six role didn't have a player, Stefan Bajetic, I guess would be the, the young heir to that, that throne, but he's injured, um, or at least he's, he's recovering from injury, so he's not match fit. Thiago perhaps as a profile could work there, but no, I, I don't think in a club system Thiago would be the number six. So that's the issue to contextualise what sort of plagued Liverpool's um, pre-season, this lack of number six. Um, but to, I guess first sort of review what, what they're trying to do through this tactical system. Um, essentially, they believe Trent's player profile thrives more in that sort of double pivot, inverted fullback role. Um, but I, I think it's completely paradoxical to say it's the same inverted fullback as uh, the way Manchester City or um, Arsenal invert the fullbacks because Trent... Um, He'll play, yeah, he'll play a deep-lying playmaker role, but he'll also be very sort of um, eager to get on the front foot if he can. And um, out of possession, he will tuck into his right-back spot um, very easily. But I, I think what they try to do through this sort of box midfield and three up front is, one, I, I think it helps them with, with numbers in the counter-press, uh, having this box midfield. And I, I think the double pivot does give them a, a bit of, I guess extra protection um barring that the rest defense principles are are coherent which is something we'll discuss later on because i think they're completely incoherent right now if i'm being honest um but also they play it allows them to thrive in vertical play because what happens is Soberslai, who's occupying the um well he's been occupying the left channel um but against um against Darmstadt in the in the last preseason game, he occupied the right midfield channel. Um, so nevertheless, whoever plays in the right midfield channel, what they usually do is they, they stay out quite wide. Um, or it's a hybrid position. At times they're central um, and compact. At times they're quite wide. What this allows... What this does is it gives flexibility to Mohamed Salah's role. Essentially, Mohamed Salah, uh, when he wants to be in central goal-scoring positions, he's able to, if the, if the right midfielder is tucked in wide, to give Liverpool the necessary 
width they need but um at times of that right midfield was tucked in compact style i was also able to sort of create and um work from from the from the right flank um and then that's shown in the number of assists it's got him but yeah the, the issue remains is that they don't have a number six so it doesn't really work in preseason they tried trent at number six and then the first two games um klopp i don't think saw that as a long-term solution um Although, honestly, perhaps maybe one of our better solutions that we have right now, because Conor Bradley, I thought, impressed pretty well in the right-back position, but it's daunting for him to just randomly start um, without any sort of preparation for, for that for that top level. Um, so then they did Curtis Jones in, in the Bayern Munich game. Um, that's not right, in my opinion. I, I think there's, Curtis Jones is probably the, the third or the fourth best solution to play there. Um, and then the Darmstadt game, they went with Alexis McAllister, which is, I think, probably the solution that they're going to go with for um, Sunday's opener against Chelsea. But I, I guess to sort of build on our discussion of this uh, number six dilemma or, or what Liverpool's midfield will be... Um, for the first game against Chelsea. What they did against Darmstadt, they had Alexis McAllister at 6, Cody Gagpo as a, as a left-sided central mid, um, and Dominic Silverslay as a right-sided um, number 8. In the press and the counter-press, I think this midfield actually works. I, or at least it can work as a stopgap solution um, to a Liverpool found an outright 6 for their settled defence. And that's the issue. The issue is Liverpool's success in settled defence. Um... To be fair, against Bayern Munich, I, I think the issue was their pressing and counter-pressing as well. It, it was quite messy, um, and I thought that's just because Alexis McAllister and Curtis Jones couldn't really adapt to the pace of the game, and that's perhaps something that we need to keep an eye on, eye out on, especially with McAllister. Um, can he can he adapt to the to the so the high pace pressing structure of Jurgen Klopp? Obviously, he's played in a, a vertical system under Roberto De Zerbi, um, so I, I don't think it'll be a a horrible transition but perhaps not as seamless um but he seemed way better against against Darmstadt so perhaps um it was just a, a bad day um but I guess you also have to note that it was Darmstadt that he did well against and Bayern Munich that he seemed a bit off pace against so against the top teams it, it may be something to to be looked at but yeah the issue that remains is a success in settled defense with a midfield trio of let's say Gagpo, Silverslay and um and McAllister at six. Sobersai is very hard working out of possession, but that's usually in the press. Um, RB Leipzig's analysts and scouts have hailed him as one of the hardest workers and one of the best pressers they know. Um, he succeeded in the lactate, lactate test, uh, testament to his fitness, and I think he's been... Um, He's had a pretty seamless fit in terms of Jurgen Klopp's pressing system. Um, one, because under Marco Rosa um, and our, and the Red Bull system, high pressing is ingrained within players who play there. Um, but two, I think it's just part of Silverslide's player profile. He is adept at, at, at winning balls and, um, I guess, attacking duels. Um, but I don't think he's necessarily the strongest out of possession in a settled shape. Um, Gagpo definitely isn't because he's, his primary position is in the forward line uh, not in the midfield line even though he's played there for, for Netherlands um, so I, I think against Chelsea the solution will probably not be Gagpo um, in the midfield line I think it'll probably be Curtis Jones um, especially after after the sort of the summer he had I think Jones would probably play that left left side of the centre mid role 
Sobersly and then McAllister. And I think Gagpo may perhaps start over Jota just because of the pressing he gives and the hold-up play he can give and sort of the Firmino-esque dropping back, false, false nine sort of thing um, that he can do. So that, that's my initial thoughts. I guess that's my framework for, for Liverpool's number six solution. They, they clearly need a number six because Alexis McAllister's profile, um, which we will discuss, um, is better suited to playing a number eight or even at times a number 10 role. Um, but I, I think this will be the solution for Chelsea. Should it be the solution long-term? Will it be a solution of see Liverpool succeed in the long-term? I don't think so, no. Um, but I think that's the solution, the stopgap solution for now, and, and, and I guess at least that's a systemic preview of what Liverpool are trying to do this season. Is this the only system they're going to stick to? Probably not. I think the 4-3-3 is, like the, the traditional 4-3-3, Jurgen Klopp 4-3-3 is still up his sleeve, um, and that's perhaps something he may he may go to. Um, but yeah, I, I guess we have to sort of discuss some of the positives and issues with the system. I think the positives lie in attack, and the, the depth and attack that Liverpool have, and I think the issues lie in um, rest defence, I think the issue obviously lies in personnel, which we've sort of introduced. Um, so that's what we'll get into for the rest of this podcast. Let's, I guess, start off with the positives. And I think the major positive being uh, Liverpool's sort of chaos and outright goal scoring and attack and just the options they have. Because think of the different starting threes they can have. And all the starting threes, they'll have Mohamed Salah start on the right. They can play Cody Gakpo at striker. They can play Cody, um, they can play Diego Jota at striker. They can play Darwin Nunez at striker. They can play Luis Diaz on the left wing. They can play Cody Gakpo on the left wing. They can play Darwin Nunez. They can play Diego Jota on the left wing. Technically, they can play four of those if they play Gagpo in midfield, and these are all very good attacking options, especially in the Jurgen Klopp system. Um, uh, with Diaz, you you'll get that sort of um, versatility and and width, and then cutting inside and sort of the taking one on one. Salah we know thrives in the central spaces, but can also be a creative outlet. With jo- with Gagpo, you'll get the, the pressing hard work, dropping deep, hold up play. With Nunez, you'll get the exploitation of vertical spaces, runs in behind. Uh, with, with Jota, you get sort of a, a, a jack of all trades. He, he can attack the vertical spaces. Uh, he's very good at hold up play, but he's very adept in the air as, as well. Um, and I think all of them have been very, very sharp um, in preseason, Nunez has been hi- highly sharp. I think um, he he's looked very good. Uh, I think his finishing has improved quite a bit as well. Gagpo scored a brilliant goal uh, against Bayern Munich. Um, Jota has been in there. Diaz has been scoring. Salah has been assisting and scoring. Um, but yeah, I, I think Klopp will go with Gagpo um, in the front line for Chelsea because I think he wants good pressing. Um, and he wants to find a rhythm with the press out of possession. Um, so I think he'll definitely go with either Gagpo or Jota because Nunez sometimes lacks in that in that, in that pressing. Um, but I think it's definitely one of the best attacks in the league, especially in terms of versatility. The amount of options in different positions, the amount of attacking outlets you have, especially with the inclusions of um, Dominic Sobersly and Alexis McAllister, when playing in the right attacking profile, they can be creative forces. They can score goals themselves. Thiago is still to come into his team. Curtis Jones is flourishing. Um... Trent Alexander-Arnold, obviously, you're going to talk about him. Obviously, Robertson's role has been curtailed a bit, but Trent Alexander-Arnold's probably flourishing more because of the, the, the curtailment of Robertson's role. Um, so definitely positives in attack, and I think Liverpool will score a lot of goals this season. Um, but I think we also have to understand that just attacking personnel isn't enough for Liverpool's attack to succeed, and I think that was seen last year. Liverpool's attack succeeds because of their counter-press or, or their press. They win the ball in vulnerable positions for 
for the opposition and then they capitalize on those vertical spaces that are left um through quick passes direct passes uh, and the pace of their attackers so last year when Lopez press didn't flourish because of sort of the lack of energy and intensity in in their aging midfield and sort of the lack of organization that that was there in that press um the attackers, uh, as a result, felt a bit more isolated. We saw Mohamed Salah to start not as involved. Darwin Nunez, um, a bit more under pressure. Uh, Diego Jota, who was obviously injured. Luis Diaz, who was obviously injured. So I think that's another thing that we have to watch out on. But I think the press and counter-press is definitely getting back to a good level. Um, against Bayern Munich, they they were still able to score because at times the press and counter-press was good. But when the times it wasn't good, they were punished defensively, uh, which was an issue. But... I think attacking-wise, it's a positive sign, and, and just because there's more creativity in that midfield. Um, so even when the press and counter-press sort of doesn't work and we just have normal possession of the football, and they're, they're going through normal sort of first-phase, second-phase build-up, there's more options there. And this is without the creativity of Thiago uh, as well. So positive signs, yeah. Let's talk about the issues. And I think the, the the major issue with Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp admitted it in his Darmstadt sort of post-match interview, the diagonal across the right-hand side is still a problem. So to sort of paint the picture of Liverpool's system, as I have already, um, you have three up front, and then you have sort of four behind the front three in in a box, essentially. It's, it's not a compact box um, like, let's say, Manchester City, for example. It's a bit more of a wider box with... Um, the left and right hand side midfielders often occupying the wider channels and the double pivot behind them being a bit more central. So what you see when Liverpool lose the ball is this massive space on the right hand side because Trent Alexander-Arnold from right back has come into the pivot in CDM. So he's gone from a wide fullback position to a central position. So there's going to be a gap there. How Liverpool try to address that is Ibrahim Akonate tries to cover that, that sort of central to right hand space. Virgil van Dijk tries to govern that central space, and Andy Robertson tries to govern that central to left-hand left hand side space. But what will happen is when Liverpool's press or counter-press is broken, it is still a pretty, pretty big space for Ibrahim Konate to to handle, and especially when Liverpool playing a right a high line, which they have to do for their press to work, uh, runs in behind that diagonal, that sort of a diagonal ball with runs in behind will be a problem. How to solve this problem? You simply just need your press and your counter-press to, to succeed. Um, you probably did a bit more better organization defense, and you ideally need Trent to transition from in-possession to out-of-possession quicker. So you want him to get from that pivot, track back to that right-back spot a bit quicker, so Liverpool can then reset into a into a back foot. So that's one of the major defensive issues, but to be fair, that's always been a, a bit of a defensive issue. Um, I think more glorified with this system, because with the traditional 4-3-3 system, when their midfield was functional, they'd have Henderson and Wijnaldum um, mopping up the respective spaces on the left-hand and the right-hand side. Um, the other issue stems in rest defence. For those that don't know what rest defence is, um, I recommend going on Devils in the Details podcast can't believe I'm plugging a Manchester United podcast on a, on a Liverpool-based series. But, um, oh, it's probably the best rest of defense podcast I've listened to. Um, uh, John McKenzie, um, Aaron, and, and, and Kays, they, they discuss what the rest of defense essentially is. But just to simply summarize it, and, and I guess use their own words, it stems from a German word. And in Germany, rest defense refers to what the rest of the team is doing in defense when you have possession of the ball. So it's not sort of, it's not 
I guess, defense in a, in, a, in a resting state, so in a state of relaxation, it's what the rest of the team is doing. So think about it this way. When you have the ball, when you are in possession of the football, what are your defensive principles to help minimize the effect of a counterattack, to help minimize the effect when you lose the ball and are in uh, are in defensive transition? Um, and it's becoming a pretty important and prominent concept in football because the details are mattering. There's so many top-level managers, especially in the Premier League. So uh, tactical intricacies are more important because systems are more commonly becoming saturated, i.e. the box midfield. Um, Ted Hag is, is a big believer in rest defense. I think Jurgen Klopp is, in fact, as well. Guardiola, of course, is. Um, Roberto De Zerbi is. Um, but Liverpool's rest defense principles, conceptually, is pretty simple because... When Liverpool are in possession of the football, they can they have to have three at the back because think about it this way: in a box midfield and a double pivot, and two central midfielders in, in front, you already have that right gap that needs to be covered, which is covered by can only be covered by three at the back because if Robertson is pushing up like he normally does in a traditional four-three-three up the left flank, then there's two gaps for Van Dijk and Canardi to cover, and that's practically impossible for them to cover. Um, the whole width of that. So Robertson has to essentially be a left side of centre back. He he has to be um, in in a back three. But the issue being that Robertson as a third centre back, even when in the right position, so Robertson in the left centre back position, he struggles because it's not his sort of defensive profile. He's a very front footed defender, um, and he struggles to defend in a coherent centre back line. But the obviously the other major salient issue, which has been widely discussed in the mainstream is that Robertson cannot curb his attacking tendency. Um, and honestly, it might be more fair to say that I don't, I don't think Jurgen Klopp wants Robertson to curb his attacking tendency because there are plenty of times where Robertson will push up when he sees an attacking situation he likes. And usually this attacking situation is when there is space on the left-hand side and Luis Diaz cuts in um, to more of a central role or, or he drifts inside. But the issue then becomes is when you lose the ball, and the press is broken, which is a tendency. Like, even when Liverpool were in the perfect situation, the press is broken. Um, the press has been broken at times because it's unrealistic for a press to succeed every single time, um, especially in his top-level oppositions. So now that Van Dijk and Konate have to cover these gaps on both the left-hand and right-hand side, and it's virtually impossible. Um, the backup that they have in this option is Kostas Simikas, and, and he struggles even more at this role. And I think Klopp is completely aware of that because... In preseason, they usually start as Simicas and Gomez together on, on both the flanks, left fullback and right fullback. And Gomez would, in fact, be tasked with the right centre-back role. And instead, instead of Trent inverting from the right-hand side, Simicas would invert from the left-hand side. So I, I, don't, I don't think Klopp even thinks that Simicas is even fit to play that role. Um, and to be fair, I, I think Gomez even struggled at, at, at that sort of right centre-back role. Um, but he does seem better suited to the role than Robertson. But then the, I guess the issue being that Gomez is not suited to the role when Trent is playing because Gomez can't play the left centre-back position because angles and, and, and sort of footedness matters. Um, so it's implausible ask for Joe Gomez to do it. So then what's the solution? The left centre-back need to be signed and Robertson's tactical instructions need to be more stricter. Uh, I think Robertson has to stay back in this back three in rest defence because the Liverpool are too vulnerable without it. And they have attacking options. Uh, does Robertson add stuff to the attacking play? 100%, of course he does. More overloads, more chaos um, on the flanks, uh, more ability for vertical channels, for attackers to thrive in vertical channels if there is width provided by a fullback. It's pretty logical. But the defensive principles are too compromised with him up there, so they have to sort of reach a sacrifice, I guess, um, and I think Klopp needs to be stricter on Robertson's rest defence role. 
Um, but also there needs to be backup there because I don't think Robertson is the best profile for that role. I'm not saying that Robertson should instantly be benched. I think he should be definitely be given a go with the proper role that he should be playing, staying back in rest defense, playing a left hand, um, left center back essentially um, in possession. But there needs to be a backup and there needs to be a left center back backup in my opinion. But I think the backup also needs to be progressive and good on the ball because that's what Robertson is and you sort of don't want to sort of have a, a left center back that can't play left back out of possession because that's important um and what is also important is attacking transition gaining the ball and playing vertical passes up the pitch which Robertson is very good at so there's plenty to consider there the other issue being and we saw that sort of in the second half of the second preseason game in Germany I think when Liverpool drew three all or four all or something Joe Gomez and and Joel Matip as the centre-back backups. They're struggling, man. They're, they're struggling with the position. They're struggling with the pace of the game. And you just saw how sort of out of place they were looking. Obviously, Gomez played in the right-hand side there, and Matip played in centre-back. Um, but I think Liverpool need centre-back backups. Uh, I think they need centre-back personnel uh, i think the first priority has to be that left center back personnel uh, that can then transition left back um and obviously the other priority more important than that is number six um but if you're if you're in an ideal scenario loop will have four more signings this summer they're not going to get them uh, i think it's very unrealistic to expect four more signings but they would have two number sixes uh, a starting level number six and a, and a sort of a backup number six they would have a left cent- left centre back, and they would have another backup centre back, perhaps even a backup right back. Um, but yeah, uh, that I think then you can see why there is so much frustration and there is so much sort of anxiety around Liverpool's transfer window and the stagnancy of their transfer window because there's so much personnel needed for this system to thrive. And the issue is, if they get this personnel, this system will thrive. And honestly, be they'll be up there again for the title. That's how good their that midfield. Uh, the attacking midfield and the attack is, and that's how good sort of Van Dijk and Canate can be, um, and that's how good these principles can be with Trent inverting um, in a double pivot, if the principles are executed and they have the right personnel to execute these principles. But the issue is that, one, I, I think the principles need to be more stricter, and the right personnel is also not there. Some of the other issues I saw in the, in the Bayern Munich match were that... Um, the press and the counter-press are obviously a bit messy. Um, but as I said, I think that was just sort of McAllister and Jones a bit off the pace of the game. And perhaps, hopefully, it's not an indicator of how um, they are against better oppositions. I think for Curtis Jones, it definitely isn't because he's shown that he, he can perform against better oppositions in the Liverpool system. And Alexis McAllister, we, we are yet to know. But against Darmstadt, there was definitely improvement. He looked way more sort of settled and better. Um but I think I think the major issue was the sort of spacing, the midfield spacing in out of possession. So basically, the way you got to think about it is that in a midfield three, or, or at least with two eights and, and a six, you want the midfield three to essentially cover the whole second line, or at least cover the major gaps in second line. That's the point of a sort of a a, a set of defense. You want to you want to mop up any gaps and ensure that the back line behind you is is protected um but the, the spacing was just not great and there were so many gaps and it just showed that the midfield lacked any form of control in defense um and i think a lot of that was because curtis jones was i think struggling to keep up with the demands of the number six and McAllister was struggling to keep up with the, just the demands of the game 
Um, I think when you change their positions, perhaps it might work a bit more because I think Curtis Jones is a bit more... I think he might struggle in that single pivot role. I think McAllister perhaps may struggle in a single pivot role as well against a good opposition, but he showed that he has the ability to play that role against Darmstadt. Um, and he has played against uh, under Gray and Potter before at Brighton for, I think, like 20 games. So so that's probably the best solution you could have. But you can still see that the the, the midfield personnel ain't, ain't perfect right now. Um, it just isn't perfect. But yeah, um, that's unfortunately how it is. Um, I want to talk about Alexis McAllister and Dominic Silberslai, um, their, their signings and their fit into sort of the team. I think both have fit in a in a pretty, I'm not going to say seamless way, but I think both have fit in pretty, pretty well. Uh, I think Silberslai especially has, has fit in quite well because of just so how good he is in the press. I think we have not seen his upside in the attacking system yet. Um, that, that being said, I don't think we've seen his attacking flair either yet, but I think he's growing into it, and I think we'll definitely see some great Dominic Soberslay attacking moments in the season, um, and I thought McAllister just showed how quality of a footballer he is in the Darmstadt game. He was asked to play a role that wasn't his natural or his preferred role, but I thought he did most things right. He was great on the ball, um, he just knew which passes to make, uh, his press resistance is remarkable, he just has eyes in the corner of his head, in the back of his head, he just knows the people on him, and he just knows the right touches to make to ensure that the people on him don't get the ball off him. Um, I thought he displayed a great reading of, of counter-pressing and pressing situations, and in a settled shape, he was able to hold his own, um, so I, I thought that was great. I also want to analyse what Liverpool are looking for in in Romeo Lavia and why they're so adamant in signing him although being quite quite foolish in my opinion in what they're doing with Chelsea now probably reportedly building bid bidding 48 million um which is three more million than Liverpool bid and two million less than Southampton's valuation so as of now Chelsea are closer to meeting Southampton's valuation than Liverpool are and the funny thing is Liverpool are looking for the signing for last month um I don't get why they just don't pay the fifty million if they if they want him so much. But why they are after Romeo Lavia is I think because of I think one his anticipatory and his ball winning skills. He's he reads where the pass is going and where the player is playing to pivot and shape his body. And as a result, he's able to intercept and tackle frequently within a pivot, which is what Fabinho is able to do. But what what is also pivotal for any Liverpool midfielder or any, any Liverpool player is quick high energy pressing. Um, the ability to quickly close down players and limit danger by reading sort of situations early. Um, but you also need a great range of passing and you also need to be able to control the ball and have a press resistance because high pressing is very common within the Premier League as it's a physical and high-paced league. And Liverpool also want their, their number six to be involved in, in first and second phase build-up. And Romeo Lavia has a great range of passing and he's displayed that. But is he starting level yet for Liverpool? Probably not. He does have a mistake in him and he's still quite raw and he hasn't been tested yet. So what would have been ideal is Liverpool kept maybe Fabinho and had Romeo Lavia's backup or perhaps got someone like Chormeni and had Romeo Lavia's backup. But that's obviously quite an expensive and unfeasible solution. But he's definitely one for the future and he's definitely a good player. And it's definitely a player we need because he's, he's a number six. Um, so it's a play, it's a signing that needs to be done because right now there are only other, other sort of alternatives out there. Andre, they're not going to be able to get to January because... Fluminense are still in the Copa Libertadores. Um, Barella is an option I love, but apparently Liverpool aren't looking to pay that fee. Chormeni is obviously an option that Liverpool fans love, but they don't want to pay that fee. Caicedo don't want to pay that fee, so it comes to Romeo Lavia, you have to get him done. Um, I saw some s- suggestions of Hoybier. 
stylistically, yeah. I just don't know if that's the type of player, type of ceiling player that you want to sign because he, he's a stopgap solution. I'd rather just use Alexis McAllister uh, as a stopgap solution, in my opinion. But yeah, signings need to be made, as we have discussed. This is the part of the episode where we will go into previewing Liverpool with Chelsea at the Stamford Bridge Sunday, Premier League opener match day one. Let's look at what Chelsea do under Mauricio Pochettino. I have written the piece on this on my personal blog. I will link it for you in the description if you want some more notes on what Chelsea do, how, how they behave um, out of possession, in possession, attacking profiles, what their system consists of, etc. Um, one thing that is synonymous with Mauricio Pochettino and uh, now Chelsea is an aggressive, pre- aggressive press. The first phase build-up is key um, for Liverpool. How can Arte will be on the ball? Um, how the likes of Jones, McAllister, Gagpo and Sobersly, um will adapt. But I think it will be pretty alright because I think the likes of Jones, McAllister, Sobersly, Gagpo have unreal press resistance. Um, and so as long as the centre-backs have options to circulate the ball... Um, they will thrive, but to, I guess, break down Chelsea's press in, in, in grander detail, what, what they look to do is essentially the front line um, will look to press the, the back line, um, often sort of man-marking uh, certain positions within the back line and shadow-marking in, in a way, or sort of positioning the body in the way in which the spare man, because the front line is three people, or I guess four people, um, but obviously opposition are going to are going to use a spare map, so a, a deep-lying midfielder is going to come and help out the back line um, to circulate the ball and sort of develop that first-phase build-up. So then it's going to be, what, 5v4, and the, 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 the attacking side is going to have numerical superiority. How Chelsea look to limit that is their pivot will come up, so their midfielders, so their, the double pivot of usually Gallagher and Enzo Fernandez as of now, will come up with the deep-lying midfielder from the opposition, and that's how high and sort of aggressive the press will become. But also, they'll try to limit the passing options from the back line themselves to sort of limit the access to that deep-lying midfielder. Um, if that sort of visually makes sense, it's probably much, much easier um, if you saw the images. Uh, but, but the point being... Um, it's a pretty aggressive press. It's a press that looks to sort of stifle and paralyze oppositions. But I think Van Dijk and Konate have have been have seen that before, and I think Liverpool's press resistance is quite good. So hopefully they'll they'll thrive in that first phase build up. But yeah, the first phase build up is critical, holds key to I guess further analyze Chelsea's pressing. I think that pressing is still quite raw, and at times the position of the double pivot. So why why is the pressing raw? Is because I think I think the front line is still not exactly sure where and where they need to be, when they need to be, and how they need to behave where they when they are in that position. Um, so at times you'll see miscommunication, two players on the same player. Uh, at times you see ineffective shadow marking and the press is broken. Um, and it doesn't help when the positioning of the double pivot isn't great as well, which is true. I think Enzo Fernandez, Conor Gallagher, and even Andre Santos, at times their positioning was not great during preseason, and there were numerous times where the press was broken and oppositions were through. So don't be surprised if it's a similar occurrence for Liverpool's end, especially with, as I said, the press resistance, the creativity, the, the, the free-flowing and stupendous vertical chemistry they have in attack. Um, I think Liverpool would thrive, perhaps, with, with Chelsea's, I think, raw, raw defensive sort of execution as of now. Um, in terms of sort of other defensive principles, Chelsea will have one fullback pushed up to aid an attack and provide width um, and will allow, allow the wingers to sort of invert a bit um, if it is Reese James on the right-hand side, 
then Robertson has to stay put in rest defense because he cannot push. It's too risky with, with the gap in behind. Um, if Chilwell does push up, which I think the possibility of both pushing up at, at, at together is there, but I think the possibility of both sort of pushing up interchangeably is also there. And we saw that in preseason when Chilwell pushes up, Reese James will stay back in a back three. When Reese James pushes up, Chilwell will stay back in a back three. But if Chilwell does push up, I would like to play Salah more centrally. Um, and against Darmstadt, Salah was more central. Um, and the club has kept a hybrid, uh, as we have discussed. But why to keep Salah more central if Chilwell pushes up is just because the space that Salah is sort of able to access them um, and sort of go at that back three um, and test if Chelsea in, in defensive transition. But yeah, I, I think the best solution is to keep the way Salah's lie and Salah operate in a hybrid situation because I think Salah does a great build-up potential, but you also obviously want him in goal-scoring, goal-scoring possibilities because how good he is in goal-scoring. I think Luis Diaz with Reese James will be a great battle. Um, sort of Reese James dealing with Luis Diaz's one-on-one dribbling ability, cunning in the side, overlaps perhaps if Robertson comes up, which I don't want him to, but if he does, and he probably will, um, perhaps even movement from Curtis Jones occupying the wide flank, so he may be able to provide overlaps as well. Um, the interchange with the, with the attackers, Gagpo dropping and, and sort of cutting into spaces. I think Nunez off the bench will also wreak havoc with the, the spaces that Chelsea leave in behind. Um, so I think Liverpool's attack does definitely shape up very well against Chelsea's, as of now, the defensive principles. I think the defensive principles are quite good. I think the press is quite good. Um, I think what they're doing is quite interesting, quite good, but it's just not there yet. And perhaps the personnel is also not there yet, which is why they're trying to side Moises Castedo. And right now, even Romeo Lavia, they're trying to shore up and protect that pivot a bit more. So it, when the press is broken, the setup shape is, is stronger. Similar issues to Liverpool, to be fair. And on that note, yeah, similarly, defensively, Liverpool will have the task cut out for them. Some of Chelsea's attacking chemistry and build-up play has been stupendous in the preseason. Um, Nicholas Jackson has proved to be a vital cog and, and a great signing so far. Um, at least he looks to be a great signing. I don't think he's not a great signing of preseason. Um, but his hold-up ability stands out to me. He has great hold-up ability. Um, and I think what will then happen is he'll sort of drop in um, to central midfield at time, hold up and get overlaps with the rest of the sort of midfield three because the way Chelsea line up is a 4-2-3-1 in possession. So they'll have a midfield three you're probably with the injury of Christopher Nkunku now. Mudrik on the left, um, Chukameka on, uh, in, in centre, Sterling on the right, and then Nicholas Jackson up top. So Jackson would drop closer to that attacking midfield three and then feed off them. So at times it would sort of turn into a straight line of four, or even the attacking midfield three might be higher than Nicholas Jackson at times. Um, so the decision is, do Van Dijk and Konate come up with him and stifle him? I think the answer is yes. I think probably Van Dijk or one of Konate do have the ability to man-mark and stifle Nicholas Jackson. Um, but the main issue will be in sort of Chelsea's pivot and attacking three link up because they've shown great fluid chemistry and great sort of variety and build up patterns. Um, so one will Liverpool's press and counter press be able to sort of stifle that? Um, but two in possession instead of defence with sort of a, a stopgap midfield solution, would they be able to stop that? But at times, from what I saw in pieces, that Chelsea can struggle to play out of the press um, when aggressive pressing is occurring. Um, so I think that's obviously going to be a major tactic. I think Liverpool are going to have a very aggressive press to sort of block in Chelsea. Um, but that at times they have shown the ability to break the press and they do something called a pivot rotation. So um, the pivots swap places to sort of throw off the pressing structure. And that's something they might use. Um, 
and I think those sort of play into the diagonal spaces with Ben Chilwell or Reese James occupying the width, um, and they'll help them in breaking the press as well. But they also will be able to sort of exploit the diagonal spaces at Liverpool leave with the likes of Mudrick and Sterling and the pace they have. Um, so Trent and Robertson have to be switched on um, to take as much of the load off Van Dijk and Canarte, who will be sort of dealing in front of them with Nicholas Jackson as well. It's going to be interesting. I think it'll be high scoring. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a two-all draw or something. But I'm optimistic for Liverpool. I think it'll be a tough game, but I think Chelsea are still a bit raw. I don't think they're as flourished as some other people think they are. Um, and I think we'll see that on, on Sunday. I wouldn't be surprised if a draw. I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool even win. A loss will be will be tough. Um, but it's definitely a possible result as well because you're away from home and I think Chelsea have attacking weapons to cause troubles there for Liverpool. Um, in terms of the lineup, I'd go Diaz, Gagpo, Salah. I really want Nunez to start, but I think right now with the sort of instability that we have in terms of defensive principles, you put him off the bench is better. And I think he will, he will be successful and he will wreak havoc off the bench. I would go McAllister as a sixth, Jones left center mid, subslide right center mid. Um, and that would be my lineup. It's going to be interesting. I hope you enjoyed this, this first episode of this sort of Liverpool-based series of the season. It will be a regular thing this season. The next episode will be probably either on, on, on Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning after... Oh, sorry, on Monday morning or Tuesday morning after Liverpool's first game. The main podcast will also return next week um, after a few-week break, and, and that will discuss all things Premier League, not just Liverpool, all things Premier League, and any other sports, especially with tennis hanging up now with the US Open cricket as well. It should come coming out World Cup in the West Indies. Um, till then hope you enjoyed season if you if you did enjoy um please drop a follow please share the podcast around it's always much appreciated <laughs>